0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce.
1: a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back to a very, very special edition of the Bruce Exclusive. If you are listening to this the day that the pod drops, it is Thanksgiving Day 2020. And today is a time where we reflect On the things that we are thankful for. And so we're going to have a little section of this pod at the very beginning. Where I will reflect on the things that I am grateful for. And then we will get into something I'm very excited about. I have been working on a project for a very, very long time. In the attempts to better measure quarterback play. Recognizing that there are many different holistic metrics out there that are intended to govern our opinions on how well a quarterback is playing overall. This is one of those pods that actually has only a slight bit to do with the actual Buffalo Bills. This past offseason, I did a line of podcasts, a podcast series on football myths. This upcoming year, I have a different plan for off-season podcast series. And I've said before that really I'm a football fan who just happens to have a rooting interest in the Buffalo Bills. And this is going to be a pod like that. And so we are going to talk about football, and we're going to talk about quarterbacks. But before we do that, I would like to say that this Thanksgiving One of the things I am thankful for is I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you click on this podcast every week. Thousands of you do it. And you listen to this podcast and you interact with me on social media. And you write reviews and you take time out of your day. And you utilize what precious resources you have. Your time, your energy, your entertainment on me. And that is an extremely humbling thing. And I am thankful that you have given me this platform. You have accepted me. I'm kind of a weirdo, guys. I'm socially awkward and I use a pseudonym and I have all these funny takes. But you have embraced me and you have accepted me. And it is very special to me, the relationship that I have with the listeners of this podcast. And I am very, very grateful. So thank you. And I'm thankful for you. As you're sitting down to your Thanksgiving meal and you are maybe sitting down to some leftovers or you're listening to this pod and it's way later and it's not Thanksgiving at all. Just know that the vast majority of Thanksgiving food sides are complete garbage. Just know that I needed you to know That my hot take for the week has already been explained on social media, but I wanted you to know that green bean casserole is lousy, cranberry sauce is gross, and the vast majority of side dishes that are associated with this are things you have been brainwashed into liking. And you know how I know that? Because you only eat them at Thanksgiving. And if they were really that good, you'd make them year-round but they're not, and it's really a tradition and really has nothing to do with the quality of the food. So when you're diving into your Uncle Ned's famous 13-layer salad, 12 layers of which are mayonnaise, and the unholy abomination that it is, just remember that Uncle Bruce, crazy Uncle Bruce, has a hot take about your Thanksgiving food. With that out of the way, We are going to approach this question. How do we best measure quarterbacks metrically? We understand that there are lots of different ways to do it. And the fact of the matter is that for the vast majority of people, the correct answer to this question is whatever reinforces my argument. Whichever one currently supports my social media argument I am in right now or something with my buddies is the one that I'm going to use. And I recognize that Bills fans specifically sometimes associate analytics and advanced metrics with pro football focus. Bills fans associate pro football focus with Josh Allen hatred. Therefore, by the transitive property, Bills fans associate analytics and advanced metrics with Josh Allen hatred. But I am not here for that today. I understand that advanced metrics cannot tell you everything. But my argument today is going to be that if you recognize the strengths and weaknesses of each individual advanced metric, holistic advanced metric, and you properly pair them and curate them together into a composite, you can get a pretty good idea for how a quarterback is playing. Now, let's start with this. Wins are not a quarterback stat. If you think wins are a quarterback stat, and that is the only method by which you should judge quarterbacks, now would be a good time for you to turn off this podcast because the rest of this is probably not for you. If you think the only judge for how a quarterback is playing is the win or the loss, then nothing I'm going to say from here on in will provide you any value and I hopefully will see you on the next one. But the only way possible to find a metric that is worse to evaluate a quarterback than wins is starts. Starts are the only thing that's worse than that. Starts are the only metric that provides you less context for how a quarterback played than wins. I think... We can do better. And the cracks you have in any armor of a metric based argument, they start to reveal themselves when we recognize that all metrics are inherently flawed. And I'll give you a great spectrum raw metrics like passing yards, completion percentage, they lack context. But guess what is necessary to provide context? Human beings. And then when you introduce human beings to give you the context that you crave, it brings with it the possibility of bias and human error. Well, Bruce, we could use a raw ratio, yards per attempt. Sure, that makes us feel better, but it still doesn't provide the context that comes from things like drops and average depth of target. In addition, you are now cutting off a volume component where if someone has five passes and averages eight yards attempt, they are not nearly as valuable as someone who had 30 passes and averaged eight yards attempt. So you're getting an efficiency associated with adding a raw ratio to it. Yards per something. Interception percentage, touchdown percentage. You're getting that denominator. That's important, but then you're losing out on other things that raw statistics provide you. Well, Bruce, we could go farther, use mathematical formulas like passer rating or average net yards per attempt. Those formulas were created by human beings, folks, and they have weights in them. There's weighting given to each underlying submetric that is represented in a way that the human creating the formula deemed necessary. You have again added human involvement. There is no way to avoid either lack of context or human involvement. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. It's not possible because the things that are necessary to provide the context were created by a human or weighted by a human or evaluated by a human or marked by a human. But what if we can use the strength of one metric to accommodate the flaws of another? In order to do this, We need the people to set aside their ego and the attachments to which quarterback metric is quote unquote best. Just accept that all of them have strengths and all of them have weaknesses, but you can use the strengths of some to accommodate for the weaknesses of others. In addition, you have to recognize that some of these metrics cannot be calculated by an average user because their formulas are not public. I understand this adds a cloak and dagger connotation to this process, but the presence of other more transparent metrics alongside the ones that are a little bit foggy can help us identify any outliers, which further strengthens the usage of multiple metrics instead of one. What if we didn't use one? What if he used an amalgamation instead Before we go any deeper, please note that by the time you're listening to this podcast, you very well may have read the outline for this podcast, which occurred in an article that I wrote, which is 3,810 words long on buffalorumblings.com. It is the longest article I have ever written. It is my thesis project that I have been working on. I hope that you will go back and read it. It is very, very similar to this podcast because that is the outline I am using when talking about this right now. I mentioned the word holistic metric earlier. Let's define that real fast. We are only gonna use holistic metrics for the purposes of this exercise. We are gonna create an amalgamation using holistic metrics. What is a holistic metric? A holistic metric defined for the purposes of this discussion is one that was designed by its creator to be broad and encompass a large portion or the entirety of a quarterback's play for a given game, season, or career. They typically take many factors into account and are intended to be wide-ranging. For the purposes of this test, I have selected the following holistic quarterback metrics to utilize and throw in the pot and create a stew to create a new holistic composite average. Of advanced quarterback metrics. I will take you through them now. The first metric we are going to use, the first ingredient we will throw in the pot is average net yards per attempt obtained from pro football reference. This metric is a mathematical formula with a small amount of human intervention. It does exactly what its name suggests it calculates the average pass yards that are gained by the team every time the quarterback drops back to pass. You will notice that there is a weight added for touchdowns and interceptions. This is the human intervention. They have a fantasy football almost component to this because they have to account for how much in the yardage mark is a passing touchdown worth. This is based on research from Chase Stewart, Of the pro football reference. The strengths and weaknesses of this metric are as follows. The strength is number one. It has minimal opportunity for human error. The only human involvement in this. Is the weighting associated with injecting a yard calculation for touchdowns. And a yard penalty for interceptions. That's it. There is no other human involvement. The weaknesses. Are very similar to a lot of other metrics. This one does not entirely isolate the play of the quarterback at the micro level. If a quarterback delivers a good pass and it gets dropped, it is still a negative in this metric. The larger the sample size, the more it washes out, obviously. But game by game, it still needs to be recognized. Also, this metric does not account for quarterback contributions in the run game. Well, what can we do about that, Bruce? Let's throw something else in the pot. Another metric that we are going to throw in the pot. Expected points added Per play. You will hear this referred to as EPA per play. It is obtained from ESPN.com. It's actually one of the easier metrics to explain. When a team has the ball on a specific yard line and a certain down and distance with a certain amount of clock remaining, there are thousands of examples of that exact same down, distance, time trifecta occurring. These thousands of examples taken together can give you an average of how many points it would be expected that the team would score on that drive alone. Once a play is completed, there will be a brand new set of numbers, a new down, a new distance, a new time, and as such, there will be a new expected points total for that drive. Whatever the difference is between the starting expected points for that drive and the ending expected points for that drive is EPA. EPA. Let's discuss strengths and weaknesses of the metric. Strength. It does a better job of accounting for success on a play than yardage. If you will recall, when I was talking about running last year and the strengths of a running game and why running actually does matter a little bit, I said that the definition of success changes for a particular play. If you gain three yards on a play, was that successful? Well, I don't know. Was it third and 13 or was it third and one? That right there is why this is important. Because gaining three yards on second and 10 is markedly less successful of a play than gaining three yards on third and two. This metric accounts for quarterbacks running the ball because the metric doesn't know and it doesn't care if the successful play was done through the air or through the ground. All that matters is success. It also accommodates for some quarterbacks being on the field for more plays than others because it has a per play denominator. Now, weaknesses of the metric. Like NEA, which is what we just did, average net yards per attempt, it's a results-based metric. It does not have the context needed to know if a quarterback contributed positively to a play, but was let down by a failure outside of his control. I'm going to use the example multiple times. Quarterback throws a great pass, dime dropped. There is no way to accommodate for this in EPA per play. It's a results-based metric. The vast majority of them are. In addition, the per play denominator, I just mentioned it as a strength, but it can also hurt the metric if a quarterback is not present for enough snaps to provide a reasonable sample size. It's the same issue you have when you add denominators to yards per pass I mentioned earlier. If you have someone who has an EPA per play that's really good and they've only been on the field for 15 plays, that has to be accounted for. So there has to be a sample size issue that has to take into account this. Otherwise, you can mess up your numbers. Next, the following metric is the next one to be dumped into the pot of this amalgamation, this stew that we're making right now. Total QBR obtained from ESPN.com. This is ESPN's proprietary metric. I have referred to it in the past as EPA+. Take the basis that was established in your head of the knowledge of EPA per play that we just talked about. Now, take that. But attempt to mitigate the weaknesses that have started to pop up. You assign credit and blame across different position groups for a given play based on factors such as how far the pass travels in the air, what percentage of yards were gained after the catch, and whether the quarterback was under pressure. Example quarterback throws a five yard out route to a receiver who has two yards of separation from the nearest defender. That play has happened. Lots of times and QBR can give an expectation of the way that play might go forward based on the way it's gone. Every other time it's happened, QBR can say, okay, based on this parameters, we can expect X amount of yards after the catch from the receiver based on that data. If the receiver gains more than those yards, that benefit goes to the receiver, not the quarterback. That's how total QBR functions. As always, it has strengths and weaknesses. It is the first metric that we've talked about thus far that accounts for garbage time. A very common counter to any raw statistical argument as well. He accommodated that in garbage time. Total QBR takes care of that. It judges win probability at the time of the snap, and if the chances of the victory at the time are incredibly slim, the value of the play as assigned to the quarterback is lessened. Total QBR accounts for quarterbacks rushing, which is good. And a timely third down conversion by a running quarterback is better reflected in QBR than any metric we've talked about. Because we would view that as a big play. So those important third down plays that push the things forward, everybody talks about third down conversion ratio. One of the ways that a quarterback can really positively affect a game is by being good on third down. QBR better represents that than any of the metrics we have discussed thus far. It does have a weakness. Total QBR is an efficiency statistic, not a value statistic, which means if somebody is really efficient and they drop back to pass 12 times and they have two design runs, they may have a great QBR, but they didn't necessarily have a large impact on the game because the amount of plays when they were entrusted to making a play was so small. It's an efficiency metric. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to finish making this stew and see what we come up with. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. And thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We are in the middle of making a stew and hopefully it tastes like something delicious on the back end. Because we are throwing a bunch of ingredients into this stew. And the ingredients are quarterback holistic metrics. Thus far, we have added average net yards per attempt obtained from Pro Football Reference. We have added expected points added per play obtained from ESPN.com. And we have added total QBR obtained from ESPN.com. But we're not done. The oldie, the goodie, the classic is getting added next. Passer rating. I obtained this from Pro Football Reference. Passer rating has been around for a long time. It is the OG of holistic quarterback metrics. It was adopted by the NFL in 1973 and is still used today. Just like average net yards per attempt, it is a weighted formula. So the human involvement in a weighted formula is determining weight. Weight. That's how humans are involved in this. They take a group of raw statistics. They assign each bucket of them weight based on what they think is most important. And that is a weighted formula. A human being doesn't intercede in this metric every time it's run. They interceded one time when it was created and then never again. In this case, the scale goes from 0 to 158.3 on passer rating. I am not going to read you the formula. I know what it is. I put it in the Buffalo Rumblings article. The piece is called Opinion, a Quarterback Metric Amalgamation for Your Consideration. Go read it. I am not going to read you the formula for passer rating because quite frankly, this is already a podcast about metrics and I really don't want to put you to sleep. But the important thing to take away is that the raw ratios that are used to make up passer rating. Completions per attempt, yards per attempt, touchdowns per attempt, and interceptions per attempt are each applied a weight based on the perceived value of the creators back in the 1970s. Pete Rosell was the NFL commissioner. He actually went to them and say, hey, dude, can you help me develop a better system for measuring quarterbacks? Passer rating, like everything else, has strengths and weaknesses. The strength is, of course, what I've already talked about. The only human involvement in passer rating is the human decision on the weighting of individual raw ratios. In addition, there is another strength. The test of time matters. This metric has been used for a long time. And if you look at the all-time passer rating leaders, names like Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Dak Prescott, Tony Romo, Tom Brady, Steve Young, you will see how passing has become more efficient since this metric was determined. If you look at average passer rating by decade, it keeps going up. But if you use passer rating year over year by ranking, there's a significant sample size of it being a you know, flawed, but digestible way of measuring quarterback passing efficiency. The weaknesses of passer rating have been well established. There is enough sample size to show that passer rating weights completion percentage and touchdown to interception ratio higher than a lot of modern analysts would think is appropriate it inflates the positions of historically check down heavy and risk adverse quarterbacks Derek carr historically chad pennington in addition zero accountability here for running quarterbacks it's not weighted for garbage time and again it does not account for a great pass drop by a receiver It also does not recognize that the quarterback has a role in taking sacks. Sacks are partially a quarterback trait. Strengths, weaknesses. But wait, there's more. Defense adjusted value over average, otherwise known as DVOA, is making its entrance into the stew pot. It is the least transparent metric on this list, but oddly enough, probably the easiest to explain. DVOA measures success in a team's efficiency by comparing success on every single play to a league average based on situation and opponent. I have linked an article in the Buffalo Rumblings column to Football Outsiders that explains DVOA in detail, but I'm going to attempt to summarize. Imagine, if you will, the offspring of a trio union of EPA per play success rate and average net yards per attempt. And you'll start to realize and understand where DVOA fits. Success is determined by whether or not a play on first down gains 45% of the needed yards for a first down. If a play on second down gains 60% of the needed yards, that's a success. If a play on third and fourth down gains the yard to gain, it's a success. This is the first time that we have had a metric that has human decision-making based on a predetermined definition of success. A successful play is assigned success points behind the scenes with big plays assigned differing amounts of points based on other things. This is where the second part of human weighting comes in. Much like the human weighting decisions with passer rating and NEA. The plays in the red zone are applied additional weight and turnovers and penalties carry with them negative implications on the metric as well. After you're done, you have a success value for each play. And then that's compared to all other teams who ran a play in that same environment to determine whether your team did better or worse with that play than every other team then that success and failure relative to league average is then weighted against the defense the team is facing. Specifically, how other offenses have performed against that defense in that exact situation. Third and 10 against the Buccaneers. How did your team do? Did they succeed or fail based on the definition? And did other teams succeed or fail? Does your team succeed or fail more or less than everyone else? That's where DVOA comes from. The final step is to normalize those ratings so that average is zero. Positive plays for the offense will show up above zero, and positive play for the defense will show up below zero. Strengths, weaknesses. DVOA strength, there's a great deal of human involvement in DVOA, but it all occurs prior to the metric being run. No one's fiddling with these numbers on the back end because of implicit bias. Unless you think there's bias in math. Despite what fans may tell you, no one is messing with DVOA after the fact because they hate your team. It also... Attempts to incorporate an extremely large number of variables. It is a wide net. It is more ambitious in its scope than any metric we have talked about thus far on the list. In addition, it is the only metric we've talked about that accounts for the defense being played against. Which adds a valuable check to our rapidly expanding composite. So, a couple arguments that people come back at. Well, it was garbage time. Got that accounted for. With QBR. Well, it was against bad defense, got that accounted for. DVOA. In addition, this metric has weights built in for playing from behind or with a lead in fourth quarter, again, helping the garbage time metric, and also games played indoors versus outdoors, which again further adds to the breadth of the value. A lot of the things that you use as excuses in arguments have been accounted for thus far. In our stew that we're creating. But it's got weaknesses. The first one is that any metric that incorporates a success rate carries with it the idea that there are situations in a game where the definition of success does not revolve around only gaining the maximum number of yards. Chief among them, plays that are designed to kill clock. Also, because this metric counts defensive pass interference as a pass play... A quarterback who makes an ill-advised throw into good coverage and then they're bailed out by a super aggressive cornerback or a flag-happy official, it doesn't reflect on the quarterback the way it should. DVOA attempts to rectify a lot of issues, but ultimately, it's still a results-based metric, and it carries with it the weaknesses associated with that. Pro Football Focus Grade I can literally hear your groans from here. I don't hate pro football focus grade. I don't hate any of these metrics. I recognize their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's what we're going to do. I have mentioned multiple times that a well-placed throw from Josh Allen that is dropped by the receiver is not accounted for in any of these metrics. Guess which metric will give Josh Allen credit for that throw where no one else will. PFF grade. I mentioned in the opening that human context added to metrics adds the possibility of human error and human bias. If we only use PFF grade in a vacuum to measure, we are obtaining that context. Great. But we are bringing with it human bias, human error, which is why we're not using it in a vacuum. We are using it as a part of a composite. PFF grading does not utilize any formula. It is unlike anything else on this list. It is a film grade based on a set of predetermined rules. Now, it's important to know what those rules are. We could do an entire podcast on just that. Again, I have linked in my article, buffalorumblings.com, to the page where they talk about their grading system. But in short, each player is graded on a scale from negative 2 to plus 2 on every play, with 0 being average. Grade of 60 is considered to be average at the end of the game, and it's the point where all grading starts. Plays where the grader is very, very unclear of the intent of the player on that play is given a grade of zero as to not influence the score positively or negatively. Season-long grades are not a composite of individual game grades because extra weight is applied for consistency. Strength. As mentioned, great throws that are dropped are accounted for in this metric and nowhere else. the inverse is also true. If a quarterback makes a horrendous throw that is dropped by a defender, every metric utilized prior to this discussion about PFF grade will view it only as an incompletion, but it's not really an incompletion. It's only not an interception due to luck. If the quarterback makes a terrible throw and a defender drops it, from the perspective of the quarterback, that's a pick. Because the Throw is still terrible. The throw is just as bad as it was if the defender had better hands. If the receiver has a ball placed right in his hands on a drag route, the play will be graded more positively than if the ball is crazy high and inside, requiring him to make an acrobatic catch. This is the main value of utilizing the PFF grade as part of this composite. It does something none of the other metrics do by introducing film into the equation and helping to add context. But there are weaknesses. PFF grades are not entirely devoid of results based influences, lest you be confused. The context and gravity of the play still influences the grade because a human being is doing it. In PFF's grading scale, the example used for a negative two play, which is the lowest possible grade, Is, quote, 2009 NFC Championship game, tie game, field goal range, Favre throws across his body for an interception, end quote. If this throw occurs in the third quarter, when Favre's team is driving and they're up by seven, the play might get a negative 1.5 instead of a negative two because the gravity of the moment is affecting the grade, even though the effect on the game and totality might be identical. In addition... The subjective grading aspect adds a what should the player have done to all the quarterback plays, and there's volatility in that. I'll give a great example. Say the quarterback's throw is altered because the receiver's leverage or coverage during the play. The receiver might not be on the same page with the quarterback. We have seen this as Bills fans. We saw it. On the Stephon Diggs-Josh Allen interception along the right sideline just a couple weeks ago. Comes out it's a miscommunication. How do I know that pro football focus is grading it correctly? Miscommunications happen all the time. The receiver reads the coverage one way, the quarterback reads it a different way. It is very, very hard to tell whose fault that is. It appears like it's an off-target pass. Was it really? So I'm getting the context. That I desperately need that none of the other metrics give me, but I am introducing the concept of human error. The final ingredient to our stew, our metric delicious stew is completion percentage over expectation obtained from NFL next gen stats. We had a discussion earlier about EPA per play. That will help you understand CPOE. When a quarterback throws a 15-yard dig route to a receiver with three yards of separation from the nearest defender and two yards of separation between the quarterback and the nearest pass rusher, that play has happened lots of times before in the NFL. That exact framework is not unique. And we know from all of that previous data whether or not each one of those plays ended at completion or not. Using that mass quantity of data will give us an expected completion percentage based on that particular throw situation. There are 10 different in-play factors that are utilized to determine this. And then the quarterback being measured can have his actual completion percentage cross referenced against the completion percentage that would be expected based on the types of throws they were making, and it generates CPOE, completion percentage over expectation. Strengths. CPOE accounts for depth of target, receiver separation, and pressure, and the effects they have on the quarterback's basic ability to complete passage. But Bruce, his receivers weren't getting a separation accounted for. Well, he throws the ball way down the field accounted for. Well, he was under pressure accounted for. If you'll notice, one of the things we are doing. When we create this metric stew is I am trying to check the box for all the things out there that are common arguments against using raw statistics to measure a quarterback. Because we know that those raw statistics have flaws. And I'm accounting for each one of those things somewhere in this stew. It's like checking off boxes for flavor profiles. I want a little sweet. I want a little spicy. I want a little bit of this. It's the same thing. There's a reason I'm using the stew metaphor. CPOE strengths. We already talked about it. High or low completion percentage is really heavily influenced by depth of target and offensive system. Well, he's captain check down. Of course, he's going to have that. This will account for that. All the people who hated... When people used Josh Allen's completion percentage should love this because it helps to provide context. It has weaknesses, though. It's the least holistic metric on this list. It doesn't account for a ton of different items. Quarterback running, sacks, bad passes that are caught, good passes that are dropped. A lot of things that are included in previous metrics aren't accounted for here. We are using it specifically to cross off specific boxes. And we understand going into this that this is the least holistic metric, but it's utilized for a very specialized purpose. As you can see, every single one of these metrics carries with it strengths and weaknesses. And there isn't a one metric that can perfectly evaluate the play of a quarterback. It doesn't matter if it's a game, a season, a career. It doesn't matter. You cannot use one of them. Because I just went through all the strengths and weaknesses. The correct takeaway isn't, Bruce, none of them matter. The correct takeaway is we should be using more than one. And that's the argument of this podcast. Use multiples. I have picked the ones, specifically I did, to curate this stew to get good taste. The final step after you go through and get rankings... For the quarterback for each one of these spots. What, what place are they in for DVOA? What place are they in for PFF grade? What place are they in for EPA per play? What place are they in for CPOE? Get all of those. And then get a composite average. The final product for Josh Allen, for example, looks like this. Before the games happened on Sunday. Josh Allen was ranked ninth in NEA, 5th in QBR, 8th in passer rating, 7th in DVOA, 7th in PFF grade, 10th in CPOE, 4th in EPA per play. That is a holistic composite ranking of 7.14. A reminder, the lower that number is, the better. You don't want it to be 32. You're probably the worst quarterback in the league. If I told you, just eye test, Josh Allen was a top 10 quarterback, would you believe me this year? You should. He's played like a top 10 quarterback. This composite average says he is the seventh, roughly best quarterback in the league. But it kind of tells a story. We can see that CPOA weights Allen the lowest. He's 10th in that metric. Because we know CPOA does not account for quarterback rushing. Josh Allen is a timely rusher. So again, you can kind of understand that there's a story being told because now we know what these metrics do well and what they don't. The information we just learned, the entirety of this podcast, I spent that time specifically so you would know how to read this. We know now why the metrics are averaged out the way they are. We also know that EPA per play, DVOA, QBR, PFF grade, these will all account for quarterback rushing which are helping to offset the flaw in CPOE. Let's look at Deshaun Watson. Before this past Sunday's game, Deshaun Watson was 5th in average net yards per attempt, 16th in QBR, 6th in passer rating, 6th is DVOA rank, 5th in PFF grade, 12th in CPOE, and 14th in EPA per play for a holistic composite average of 9.14. If you look at, At these metrics, which ones are low? The QBR, the EPA per play, 16th and 14th. Do you remember what we talked about with QBR and EPA per play? They're really kind of team metrics because they're primarily success based on the play. So help me out here. If you're fifth in average net yards per attempt and you're fifth in PFF grade and you're sixth in DVOA, and you're sixth in passer rating, but your QBR is lower, what does that tell you? Deshaun Watson is a good quarterback who's being let down by a lesser team right now. That's the story that's told by this if you know what to look for in the metrics. Each one of these, in I have embedded in the article, they have a spider graph or a radar graph, depending on who you ask, embedded in them. I specifically designed it so that in scenarios like this, it would look like a teardrop. Because math is funny, that's why. So Deshaun Watson's spider-slash-radar graph looks like a teardrop. Because Deshaun Watson is playing well and being let down by his team. Let's look at it one more person. Let's look at Aaron Rodgers. His average net yards per attempt rank is second. His QBR is second. His passer rating is first, his DVOA is second, his PFF grade is first, his CPOE ranked is 11th, and his EPA per play rank is second. That's an MVP caliber season, folks. That's what that looks like. Well, hold on, Bruce. You said CPOE was 11th. Aaron Rodgers is a player who consistently makes good throws, but not necessarily improbable ones. The number one player? in CPOE is Russell Wilson for context. So if I told you Josh Allen was performing like a top eight quarterback in the NFL, would you believe me? You should. What if I said Aaron Rodgers was top three? Yeah, sure. Deshaun Watson top 10? Yeah, that tracks. Aaron Rodgers' holistic composite average is three. Deshaun Watson's is 9.14. Josh Allen's is 7.14. Seems to me like our composite average is doing a pretty good job. If you are willing to accept that every metric has flaws, you take the time to know what those flaws are, and then you utilize them in a composite to help you better evaluate quarterbacks, we can do this. We can get a better understanding for how a player at the most scrutinized position in sports is actually performing. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I am thankful for you. I am now extra thankful for you sitting through that. Tomorrow, we are going to do almighty takes. If you have not emailed them to me, it's probably too late, to be honest. I probably already recorded tomorrow's. But make sure you always email me. I am brucealmighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes. For the next game, we will go through them. We will do crumbling the cookies for the Los Angeles Chargers. And until next time. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo.